Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? It's sensing the synoptic. <laughs> to listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And we're here. We're doing the show. One of the shows I'm most excited to do. We're going to talk about it. I can't wait. I'm just so excited. Yep. 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 It's, um, man, this is going to be so weird. This is going to be so weird. So we're, we've got a lot of information for this first episode as we normally do for starting a new show, but there's a lot for this one. And I think the production history is fascinating and I think it sheds light on it and it's got such a torrid legacy. I don't even know, like, if people are going to be coming into this, like, expecting us to tear it apart and hoping for us to tear it apart, or if it's just going to be, like, a little fascination for them just to see what we think or whatever. (laughs) But I have a feeling, based on my, like, my experience rewatching it now, I have a feeling that people might be surprised about what we have to say about this show, at least for me. Well, I unabashedly uh, said I was very excited and declared on Twitter in writing that this show is perfect uh, and or amazing and or my favorite without ever having watched a second of it. So uh, (laughs) that's what you're all getting from me. Yeah. (laughs) And I will say I have not yet been disappointed, but I suspect that these first two episodes are probably very different than the rest of what we will be watching after Uh... these two episodes. (laughs) I don't know about that. Oh, I think, okay. Because I think, okay, so if you didn't see it in the title, we're talking about the very much maligned Spider-Man Unlimited show from 1999. I can't and, wait to fight everyone. <laughs> well, because I think what people don't like fists. about it, <laughs> I think what people don't like about it is that it is very high concept and very like not a Spider-Man show in like the typical sense. Like it's a sure. lot of differentiation. And there is weird stuff. It's it's a weird turn, especially coming right off of the 90s show, which this came out like a year after that wrapped up. Mm-hmm. And there was weirdness around it where people were kind of confused over like if it was a sequel to that show, because, you know, there's a couple of little references. Right. To, well, actually, really just one reference to it um, at the beginning of it. And, you know, you could you could make some assumptions about its connection to it. And to the point, like even recently, like let's say like the legacy of it is kind of screwy. I know in the, in the um, one of the spider verse crossovers in the comics, I think it maybe, I don't know if it was spider versus spider get in, um, but one of them, they do uh, visit the Spider-Man unlimited world. And like Dan Slott had gone on the record saying that he considered unlimited a sequel to the nineties show. 
and like put those worlds together in his comic. Uh huh. So like, there's sort of been an idea out there, even though it wasn't in- intended to be a sequel to that show. There's kind of been an idea out there that it was, and I think that's another reason why people are like, well, it's just so different from that show and doesn't like deal with anything from it and makes it kind of weird. And I think that off the bat kind of set people off on it. I don't know. I just I think that there's I think the reason that people really really hate it are kind of surface because there's a lot of really interesting things going on within it if you're willing to actually like pay attention to it and get past the weirdness of it. I mean, it's weird. It's high concept. It has bizarre production circumstances and <laughs> people seem to maybe not like it simply because it's different. It kind of has all the ingredients for this particular podcast to have a strong affinity for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I get, yeah. Yeah. Because we like weird things. We like high concept things. We like when they, and there's even some like very specific elements to this show that are like, oh, either Doug and or Derek are like, have gone on the record saying they love those types of things. Right. So like, I, I get it. I do get why people don't like it because it, yeah. It's almost built to not be everyone's cup of tea because it is so high concept, almost to the point that it's kind of esoteric. Like it's it's <laughs> not a show that like is going to appeal to every kid. And if you're trying to do a Spider-Man show, which is usually targeted towards the widest possible audience, it's not really, you know, gonna gonna work and it's gonna feel like a failure. But I do think that if you're willing to give it a chance and and be open-minded about it, I think that there are really interesting things to pull in it. And even the things that I don't particularly like about it or don't think work as well in it reading up on the history of it and like how it came to be it all makes sense like there's such a straight line (laughs) in its production (laughs) history for like why this show exists in the form that it does like it's like okay i get it i 100% get it like there's no there's no ambiguity for like why it is the way it is (laughs) cool well let's uh let's dive into the birth of this show Yes. So we've got a lot of information here, um, but it is all very fascinating. But I wanted to start off with an early quote for just what, what was in the air at the time. And I think what persisted, why I say that a lot of reasons people hated this show are kind of surface because it was just kind of out there before it even came out. Because there's an interview with John Semper, the showrunner of the 90s show that we've talked about many, many times. So in an interview with him in 1999, so not long before Unlimited is premiering and not long after the 90s show has wrapped, he was asked about the next Spidey show, as they called it. And he said, just based on what he'd heard about it, before it even came out, he said, it sounds like a real mess, doesn't it? That's what happens when you don't have somebody like me to fight for a better show. It ends up being a corporate mess designed to sell toys. That's what I fought against. And then when he was asked if the network like <laughs> asked him to ever come back to work on Unlimited, he said, they never asked me to do the new show, uh, but there's lots of bad blood between me and them because I did so many things they told me not to do. <laughs> John Semper is such an interesting person, if only from the quotes that I've been exposed to. Like, I don't I don't know a ton about him, but I obviously know as much as we we sort of cover and then a little bit probably on top of that. But it's so funny to me because so many of the things that make John Semper the right person to make a dope show are also the types of things that make me roll my eyes sometimes when he talks. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? I He's got an ego. Like, He's definitely got an ego. <laughs> yes. And, and 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 in many, many circumstances, you need that. I, I don't yeah. think somebody without the ego that he had 
would be able to, like he says, fight for the show that he specifically wanted to make. His wording is always kind of funny because it's fighting for a better show, not fighting for the show I conceived that I believed in. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But no, I I, I totally get what he's saying. And uh, 30 years later... John, the show wasn't even out yet. <laughs> that's that's the thing. I think that's what was what was important. I felt to kind of include a quote like that because I think that was sort of the general idea at the time. Because mm-hmm. the '90s show had gone on for five seasons, it was a massive success, widely beloved um, in real just, time. Just ended, and yeah. And this is this it just happened. So like yeah. this, that's what's on everyone's minds. So like it's not surprising to me that anything that is sort of pivoting so far from that is just going to be like oh what why (laughs) we just had a good show why don't you just do that again you know (laughs) well and doing something that's such a high concept thing i mean we we've mentioned this like that wasn't necessarily or or rather what i should say is we now in sort of a mainstream way are so programmed to accept the sort of what if scenarios or it's this but with this sort of twist or with this sort of overlay or this sort of tweak and we're just sort of used to it and programmed to listen i know there's still obviously massive reactions to any any time something changes but i think we're we're more prepared or equipped nowadays uh, than i imagine people were with one set of movies and or i guess the movies weren't even there yet you yeah know, that's, this that's one part sort of it of is massively successful show right like they hadn't i don't feel like people felt like they had enough of their fill of like classic spider-man at that mm-hmm. point probably so they are going to be a little bit less open to different things with spider-man yeah. you know so yeah i i get it <laughs> all of this i get all of it <laughs> now the actual conception of this show is also interesting. So in a 2012 interview with Newsarama, um, there's a little mini interview with the, the story editor and developer, Will You Know. He said that right after the animated series, the 90s show was completed, he says, and I quote, both Marvel and Fox Kids needed a new series with Spider-Man in the title to fulfill contractual obligations, which would allow Fox Kids to keep airing their earlier Spider-Man series for several more years. So really, the only reason they were doing another Spider-Man show so soon wasn't even because they wanted to capitalize on doing a Spider-Man show. It's because they wanted to like maintain the rights to keep running the reruns of the Spider-Man show that mm-hmm. everyone already liked. Sure. So their approach to this initially in very classic uh, like Fox Kids partnership fashion was to do it in a, in a very low budget way because, like I said, they really just cared about the 90s show. So the initial goal was to do uh, what he said was an extremely low budget adaptation of the first 26 issues of the Amazing Spider-Man comic book. I found another source on CBR that had talked about this a little bit. They said that basically it would have been like what we see as motion comics today. So like a, barely any animation. It would literally be taking the classic comics panels, doing a voiceover and having like a little bit of ant movement within them. That's hmm. what the show was going to be. <laughs> I uh, I mean, I, I can't say that I've consumed many motion comics so i i am not the right person to talk about this and i i think i could understand the appeal of that particular medium in certain circumstances i think even as a kid i would have hated the amazing spider-man comic book adaptation motion comic tv show yep i think so too and if you consider the 90s show did do a lot of 
adaptations of classic stories and already updating them. So mm-hmm. getting this right after that, where it's just sort of like, well, not only do we already see this, but we saw it like actually animated and like updated for the nineties. And now we're just doing like a sixties comic yeah. on like, I don't feel like it, it wouldn't have even fit it into like Fox kids's brand at that time. So it's such a, like it never would have worked. Like people right. would have hated that so yeah. hard, you know? I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. So dumb idea. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> kind of I'm, I'm glad. So what the reason that that stopped, I think that really fully would have gone forward because oh, anything man. that's low budget that's they would have. That's the corporate mess in my mind. That's yes. that's the worst case scenario nightmare timeline version of the corporate mess that John Semper is referring to. I mean, he's not referring to that. We know what he's referring to. Yeah. But in my mind, that that's the worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's literally like no heart and soul put into that right. if it's literally just going to be motion comics. Zero art at all. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's like, what's the point? <laughs> just read the comics, guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they had started working on that version of the show. What stopped it was that Sony locked in a deal to do what would become the Spider-Man film, the first Spider-Man film. But when they got the rights to do this, those rights included the rights to do a tie-in animated series, which did later become like the 2003 MTV Spider-Man. So it's it's kind of weird and confusing, but basically getting the rights to the Spider-Man movies to do a tie-in animated series, that means that it includes all – they have the rights to all the elements of the film. The elements of the film are the classic Spider-Man elements. So like classic right. Spider-Man stories, Peter Parker in the classic Spider-Man costume, those classic characters and everything. That meant that the Marvel Entertainment Group that was producing this Spider-Man cartoon already no longer had the rights to what they were planning to adapt. Muno said, we were suddenly cut off from our source material. We could no longer adapt the early comics or use the classic Spider-Man costume. I assume oh that like. Oh my God. See, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. This makes me, I've, I've seen two episodes of the show, two. Mm-hmm. So please use that as context. But this makes me love the show even more because it's like this weird thing born out of just the worst, most obnoxious circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of love that. It's it's weird. It's almost like, um, it's almost like uh, if you ever took creative writing classes or even technical writing classes, like it, it reminds me of all of your least favorite prompts that you ended up sort of like creating hot shit out of where you're like, you know what? That's kind of, kind of like kind of awesome. Like I yeah. kind of made something really sick out of this. <laughs> well, right. And I mean, it's sort of like, we see this happen. We, we see this happen with other Spider-Man shows because of all the, the right stuff going back and forth and movies mm-hmm. too. I mean, Sp- spectacular Spider-Man. We'll talk about it when we get back to like the second season of it. But like the main thing that caused its cancellation was the rights shifting over for who owns Spider-Man TV rights. And they just couldn't produce any more of that show because, like, the rights to that show was held by one company, but, like, the rights to everything about Spider-Man that that show could have used further, it was out now owned by another company. So it's, like, (laughs) it's so messy. And the fact that they were in a very similar situation here, but we're still able to – we're still allowed and able to make a show out of it, like, it's kind of miraculous that it happened. Yeah. Once again, a miracle that anything gets made. (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh yep yep we talk about it on our um unmade spider-man uh-huh. uh patreon series but every movie and tv project is so constantly teetering on the edge of disaster <laughs> it is they're all beautiful little miracles it's yes yes they're all little miracles um wow yes so in this horrible situation, according to another CBR article, uh, they did for like a hot second, I think only about a week, toyed with the idea of doing Spider-Man 2099. 
that was a thing that we've even talked about off mic like before we even started this show like seeing a little bit about it it's just like why didn't they just do Spider-Man 2099 it seems like they clearly wanted to do that um, and I think that that still you can see the elements kind of flow through into Spider-Man Unlimited the only oh, reason yeah. They, yeah big like, time <laughs> big time you know says the only reason that this wasn't just full on a Spider-Man 2099 show is because Batman Beyond was already in the works and they had covered that territory pretty well. So they moved on, which uh, is so it's so okay, funny to me. I guess. It, it's so funny to me, though, because this show still has so many Batman Beyond like elements yeah. in it anyway. All, like if this costume is looks more like Batman Beyond than the actual 2099 costume would have looked. Well, yeah, I think that I think that if they had done a straight up Spider-Man 2099 adaptation especially at the time they would have been doing this it would have been less like batman beyond than this show ends up being for a number of really sort of critical reasons i think i think so too so so that's it's so wild that that was sort of their rationale i get it though because i can see probably the parallels they were focusing on right but uh i still i still would love to see I don't know where where there's room for it or what the circumstance would be. I would still love to see an like an original 2099 yeah. adaptation because that that comic run, which I still need to finish, Marvel mm-hmm. Unlimited, come on. <laughs> or actually Marvel Publishing even, just uh the the last arc of that that original run is so hard to find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to know what happens. But it's such a charmingly bizarre weird pretty obnoxious at times um yeah. comic and, and I, I i i am absolutely infatuated with it yeah i never got past like the first trade when they like re- repackaged them and everything yeah. so i guess like the first arc of it i never got past that it's astounding that that even lasted M- maybe that's something that we'll have to talk about at some point on a spider bite but it's Ooh, uh yeah. it's it's astounding that comic lasted as long as it did because miguel o'hara is an absolutely <laughs> just horribly unlikable character <laughs> yep <laughs> uh, in that run it's just really really terrible hero <laughs> uh-huh. uh yep. and now that i you know now i love it it's 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 charming in in all the worst ways but uh, yeah. yeah he sucks <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is and it is fascinating it is all it all, all fascinating yeah. the the fascination with like future stuff that was happening around that time is interesting because like the kind of gritty Blade Runner-y kind of future yeah. that like the late 90s was going after. Well, we have retrofuturism, which is typically that 50s, 60s sort of like Jetsons-y type false vision of what the future would be. Mm-hmm. But we also have this, which I guess I guess it's just cyberpunk, right? Yeah. But still there's feels something different. like a subgenre of that or a spinoff of that. Something yeah, about it feels slightly different, but it's cyberpunk. It is definitely within the cyberpunk umbrella, but I feel like there's like a particular grittiness to it, even more than what you generally think of cyberpunk. In that there's even like less technology than cyberpunk, mm-hmm. and it's like the balance of like cool technology stuff versus just like dystopia, like slums and like dirtiness. Yes. Like is is kind of kind of the ratio is different yes yes the ratio of 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 slum is higher than with most cyberpunk things i feel like (laughs) right right yeah so that's the how we end up coming to just like an entirely new spider-man property that's never been done before so marvel 
did give them a list of characters they could include that wasn't involved with the the other rights that like the movie group and Sony had. So um, they did have the rights to Peter Parker himself. They just couldn't like use the actual comic book stories surrounding him. Um, they couldn't use the comic book uh, costume. Obviously, they were granted permission to use it for like the first episode, but they couldn't use it significantly as like the main costume or anything. Mm-hmm. The things that they also specifically wanted them to include were things like Counter Earth. I think the Knights of Wonder were things that they were like, why don't you use this? These seem kind of cool. And of course, Venom and Carnage were at the top of that list. I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Big surprise. Big surprise. They want Venom and Carnage in a turn of the millennium property? No way. <laughs> <laughs> On the heels of the 90s show? <gasps> Gasp. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. Big surprise. Well, either way, they they were able to use those kind of desired characters and elements to create a storyline to accommodate Marvel's needs. Uh, see, I feel like, ah, oh, man, I, I, I'll try not to say this too many times, but just knowing that the, the product we got was a result of restriction like these kind of makes it more impressive to me. It wasn't just some cockamamie idea that somebody had. It was it was sort of like, how do we work within this space? And I think that's that's really cool. I don't know. I, I, so I can too. see where people would hate it. And I'm sure there are, there are circumstances where I would hate it as a creator, certainly. But mm-hmm. um, gosh, it just makes it sort of miraculous. Yeah, well, you know, and we didn't even talk about our experience with the show. You've never seen a single second of this before, right? I Well, I think that I must have been exposed to it simply because I watched the 90s show. Mm-hmm. And if you had asked me prior to watching this, tell me what you know about Spider-Man Unlimited, I would have told you that his suit was nanotech. So I, I knew that much, and I don't know how I would know that without having seen some of it. But I couldn't sure. have told you anything other than he has a suit made of nanotech. And I actually had begun to start to doubt that um, as a result (laughs) of a little bit of Mandela effect, I suppose. But also once I started reading 2099, I was like, maybe maybe I made that up or or maybe Mm -hmm. I have like crossed wires or something. But yeah, I I, some (laughs) part of me was exposed to some part of it. Okay, and then that makes sense. That's probably that's probably what it was like for everyone because it got moved around. We'll get to it, but it got moved around on the schedule a lot anyway. Gotcha. So it's really easy to catch the beginning, like the first episode, and then never see it again just because of the time slot stuff. Yeah, I did watch the entire show. It's only thirteen episodes, and I watched mm-hmm. all of it. I did not like it at all, but I <laughs> watched every single thing on Fox Kids at the time, whether I liked it or not. That's just like how it rolled. So, like, I still <laughs> saw all of it, but I don't think I particularly paid much attention to it because sure. I, I going into this, I remembered very, very little, and I was so shocked watching the the opening two parter and just being like, "Wow, there's a lot of stuff here that I just like didn't it didn't even like process with me like." You know, there's stuff that you see as an adult, like, wow, these themes are interesting or whatever. But just like literally just what was happening, stuff that I know that I liked at the time, like I liked like the robots and and, like animal monsters and interplanetary stuff. But I guess I was just so put off by it being a Spider-Man show that was different from the 90s show and not being super interested in it that I was just like, well, that's just the bad, stupid show. So like I watched it, but didn't retain anything. I remember I remembered nothing, (laughs) nothing about it going forward. I wonder um I wonder if people who were older and had read comics consistently through the 70s and 80s were less inclined to have that type of reaction than people whose either first or primary introduction 
into Spider-Man was the 90s show. Because weird shit had happened already. I mean, mean, comics weren't (laughs) not weird. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder that too. But I feel like even having like browse like Spider-Man websites and fan sites and stuff, not necessarily around that exact time, but like just a little while afterwards, I remember just that was just the general air was that people didn't like this show and thought it was bad. Wow. And even now, like on our on this day tweets that we do on our Twitter feed, like there have been some from Unlimited and like pretty much every response has always just been like, oh, yeah, the bad show. Or, or it's just like, oh, yeah, I like it, even though it's terrible. Like, it, that's that's been pretty much the persistent reaction. Well, I'm glad like, we can provide this service then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that if we can't change minds on it, which is fine. You, you can have your opinion. That's like, that's all right. It's even if it's And we wrong. might not like it by the end. Who knows? <laughs> that's true. That's true. We might hate it after the, op- after the opener. But like, even if we, even if we can't change minds, I, I think that- it's still fascinating and worthwhile, like looking at what it's doing and yeah. still kind of important to the general Spider-Man like mythos. Cause you know, it's easy to kind of write off a show for doing something different, but if it is doing something different, it, it's, it deserves some kind of kudos just for trying, <laughs> trying yeah. to do something, even if that something isn't something that everyone likes. So. Yes. Yes. All right. So I have been instructed to read the next bits of trivia and I don't know what they are. So, <laughs> this is going to be good. Yes. So, uh, the story for this show was that Peter is stranded on a place called Counter-Earth, needs help to get home, and tries to hook up with that world's Peter Parker. But Peter soon discovered the glitch in his plan. Uncle Ben had not been killed on Counter-Earth, which resulted in that world Spider-Man not having the moral fortitude to resist becoming Venom. Holy fuck. <laughs> right? 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 <laughs> this is so funny because this this is this is exactly the type of storytelling that I feel like people would glom onto now. Uh-huh. People would love this shit. Yeah. I mean, maybe if if not in this format, I think it would have found its audience and a strong, if not large, strong audience if this just were a limited series comic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. So it would have it would have been the core of a long term arc. Um, that whole bit that I just read, um, which would examine who Peter Parker was through the hardship of being on a strange world and not knowing if he could get home. Dealing with the counter Earth Spidey Venom was intended to be the main subplot, and by the end, Peter would have gone home with the knowledge that the hardships of his origin had made him the good man he'd become. Which I actually kind of dig because. Yeah. It's it's assumed that that's the case, and we are told pretty explicitly that that is the case frequently, but there's no reason for, in the universe, Peter to just inherently believe that he is who he is simply because of that stuff. I mean, I don't know that it's easy for many people in the real world to believe those types of things. You know what I yeah. mean? So to actually be presented with what is essentially an alternate universe as we would describe it now, even though that's not what this is, uh, sort of in-universe, is kind of the only way to truly know those types of things uh, if you can trust what you're looking at. So I like that. It actually, excuse me, John Semper, sounds like they had a strong concept. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And some very deep shit they wanted to get into Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I I can kind of see already making sense from the get-go of this show. Yeah, I feel like uh, by the time we're done with this, I'm just going to be like verbally sparring with John Semper, who doesn't know I exist. 
<laughs> like, let's talk about your show, John Semper. Like, <laughs> let's talk about Hobgoblin, bitch. Like, <laughs> damn. damn. <laughs> look, look. John Silver put together a great show. Yes, he has yes, a reason. Yes. He has good reason to have an ego about the yes. good show that he made. <laughs> but I of know course. that he's never. I don't think he ever watches like the cartoons that have come after his. Is the thing like I think he's been on the record about that. Anytime that one comes out, he's just like, yeah, but I already did that. <laughs> so like, okay. he's. I'm sure that he's never seen it. So, you know, it is kind of a bummer when it's just like, expand your mind, dude. You made a great Spider-Man show, but so did other people. Yeah. <laughs> some people yeah. use the thing that you did and then did some some of it better. Like, that doesn't mean that anything you did was wrong. That right. Means yeah, that you no, exactly. actually added really amazing things to, uh, to, to the world that other people are able to build on. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. No, this sounds, uh, this sounds incredible, actually. Um, yeah. I was already, after just watching two episodes of this, already pretty heartbroken knowing that this show never got to live the way that it was intended to live, mm-hmm. which I guess I should expect going into any serial Spider-Man property. At this point. Um, <laughs> at this point, for sure. Uh, But knowing that that was part of the intention makes me even sadder because I think that had it been allowed to live, it sounds like it would have been some of the most compelling Spider-Man cartoon stuff we would have ever gotten and would have actually touched upon the types of things they weren't able to directly portray on the show itself. So this is kind of their way of tapping into those types of things that would complement all the stuff that we probably were just craving more of. Um, instead of seeing beyond because they were so limited. So damn. I mean, like, like, holy shit, this, this, wow. And and, and I'm not surprised either. Even just from these first two episodes, the types of references they make and the themes that they are, are putting out there. I'm not surprised that this is the type of stuff that they ultimately wanted to explore. Right. And you can see, I think you can see shades of it. A couple of places in the first episode that I think would have pointed to that arc that were probably from like early drafts of the script that still had this, or at least that was in their head that are sort of like trying to grapple, like Peter Parker trying to grapple with like who Peter Parker is in his duality with Spider-Man that I don't know if they're ever going to be like really fully addressed in the show. Cause it sort of ends up going in another direction, but like, I feel like they really were setting the stage for a really fascinating kind of peering into the identity of Peter Parker and a really like kind of nice internal struggle for him that you don't normally see in cartoons in general. Yeah. So, although I did just read ahead to the next note and I'm, I'm, bummed in a whole different way i guess um Uh because what it says is uh that while people on production and people sort of internally were on board once production actually started mignot said someone at marvel uh freaked out misinterpreting what fans found onerous about the end of the clone storyline in the comics themselves uh, and declared we couldn't do a story with two Peter Parkers. So LOL so in 2020. LOL, uh-huh. LOL, LOL. Oh my God. I know, right? <laughs> so we found ourselves in production with a show whose dramatic core had been destroyed. Oh, that's so sad. That's so sad. And yeah. and and I have to imagine that this person is just like existing. Well, hopefully they're alive as I say this, but existing in 2020, just sort of like, you fucking idiots. You fucking <laughs> idiots. <laughs> <laughs> God, look at what your entire sort of like like what spider-man has become as a result of i think really spider-verse this core idea that anybody 
can be Spider-Man and that there is an infinite number of spider folks because yep. Spider-Man is necessary. It's more the circumstances that birth the necessity of it mm-hmm. and shape it. And this, this I think was actually getting to that 20 years earlier yep. or 10 years, 10 years earlier, I suppose. <laughs> I, oh yeah, I guess so. I mean, from, for the comics, but right. yeah. It, it's, but that it's... sort of theme, I think probably was more solidified uh, post the comics yeah yeah it's it's wild to me it's i mean i guess it shouldn't be surprising because this was 1999 so the clone saga like literally just happened and and people were probably still hating on it so like (laughs) you know again the air around what spider-man at the time like i think made such a big influence on this show not only just the reception of it but production of it apparently so like everybody had these very wrong-headed ideas (laughs) about (laughs) spider-man that were just like no you can't do this you can't do it and it's like it could have been great (laughs) yeah and there's nothing to say that had they been allowed to do this show that it wouldn't have resulted in the long-term effect that Spider-Verse could never have been created as a result of whatever atmospheric result this had. Sure. So who knows? Who knows? Everything is butterfly effect, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Avi Arad, who was around at the time, did still hope the show would be a success, obviously. But um, the main thing that he really was like hoping for, apparently, there's not a lot of information on this, but he had said in a couple of places that like he wanted to do like a bunch of subsequent Spider-Man miniseries. I don't really know what that means, but I'm Hmm. guessing if the rights to the classic stuff was tied up with Sony, then maybe he wanted to do more kind of weird offshoot ideas like Unlimited was. Hmm. The only the only information out there is that he name-dropped one thing that he said that they were working on called Spider-Man 2001. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> I suspect it doesn't mean anything other than... <laughs> The year that things were happening. <laughs> so, but, like, that's that's used as, like, the title, like, in interviews yeah. and stuff and articles about it. So it's just sort of weird. Huh. But, yeah, the idea, I think, was that even with the movie coming out, Marvel Entertainment would theoretically still be, like, launching a whole bunch of their own little Spider-Man things that yeah. were not the classic Spider-Man, um, which would have been interesting. Again, very much like a Spider-Verse type of situation where we would have gotten <laughs> very different kinds of Spider-Man things. It's so funny. We're looking back two decades, but it looks like we're looking in a mirror, you know? Yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. Very huh. weird. So the show did air. And it had decent ratings, actually. It's it's actually, like, this was, like, Pokemon during its height, and it was, like, right up against it. I think it was literally in the competing time slot. Okay, well, that explains why I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that explains that. <laughs> I had to it, have caught it in reruns then. Well, so. <laughs> nothing, 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 I tell you, was pulling me away from catching Pokemon <laughs> on television or in real literally. life. Literally. wasn't, yeah, yeah, it wasn't going to happen. I changed what time I went to church. I woke up like hours earlier to go to a different church time so I could get home to watch Pokemon. Oh my I was God, not messing around. That is amazing. That is amazing. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was up against Pokemon and it still pulled in decent ratings because it is a Spider-Man show, but it only had three episodes to do that because after three episodes, it was quickly pulled from the schedule, <laughs> like just disappeared. Just entirely? Disappeared from the schedule after three episodes, Wait, despite so, these good ratings. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Wait. So it was pulled after three episodes. Wait, actually, I know the answer to this. Never mind. I was gonna. I was going to ask how. One, how did you watch the whole thing? And two, how did it continue airing? But I they pulled it 
correct me if I'm wrong, they pulled it and then like a year later dropped it, didn't they? So I have all of the answers to all of your questions. Great. In a November 1999 article with AnotherUniverse.com, Rick Unger, who was the then president of the Marvel Character Group, so he was basically responsible for all of Marvel's animated TV projects at the time. Um, He said, and I quote, What's happening is Fox is dealing with the realities of Pokemon as a competitor. They felt they needed to devote more time to those types of shows, which means cheap shows and anime and things Mm -hmm. they can import and dub and not have to spend money producing. Yep, yep, yep. Not a yeah. mistake that those shows uh, had all the investment they needed. <laughs> uh-huh. Fox Kids in general had taken a big dip in ratings over the last few years. Like they were dominating the early and like early mid 90s, you know, like they had Power Rangers and everything. Like they were dominating for a while, but like Kids WB because of Pokemon mostly, um, and then Nickelodeon and then ABC's One Saturday Morning basically like took over as uh, the ratings leaders for Saturday morning. So Fox Kids was just kind of freaking out and basically flailing around and changing their schedule constantly. I remember watching as like a a 10-year-old at the time and being like, everything I want to watch is always at a different time every week. I don't understand. Uh, Like that was the reality. And it was very frustrating and doesn't seem like it's a very smart strategy, but Mm. you do you, Fox. (laughs) Um, Unger said that uh, Fox's Saturday programming has been really fluid. It hasn't been the same from week to week. The real problem is that they have a ton of really good shows over there, and they are trying to find the right formula to be competitive. What a nice way to say that they have no fucking idea what they're doing. But also, (laughs) once again, we're looking two decades backwards, but it feels like we're looking in a mirror. (laughs) Because I feel like a lot of, not all, I I know that this is not 100%, but I feel like a lot of children and family television still is hard to pin down yeah and well i shouldn't say still uh newly as a result of streaming and youtube and all those types of uh-huh platforms it's once again i should say become difficult to pin down yep yep he went on to say and i like this quote from the looks of things spider-man will probably come back sometime between december and february it wouldn't. <laughs> it would come back in a December, just not the December that he's thinking. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh boy oh During boy, the time boy. that it was off air, uh, I think it was literally only like a month after they pulled it. So maybe like that December uh. of 1999, the series was canceled, even though the, the, the first season was completed and they were already working on the second season. Like it. As far as they knew, it was renewed. They had written several season two scripts that had already been commissioned, but they still canceled it like while they're in the midst of working on it. Do the scripts exist? Yes, yes. Oh. Um, or at least at least one. There is one script that is out there uh, for, ah. the, for the premiere that has been published, and I believe you can find like an outline that they had pitched for the second season. So you would, you, there's at least an idea of like the direction that they were taking. I haven't really read that much forward. Cause I want to save that for like, maybe yeah. like a bonus that we'll do. But uh, the little that I know is I think they really were planning for some cool stuff in the future. Okay. Dear Marvel and Marvel's dad, Disney, <laughs> please, please, please somebody make Spider-Man unlimited season two, the comic book limited series. We will be the only two people on this planet asking for that. False. But you'll get two sales. False. (laughs) That's not true. We can't be alone. In 2020, we cannot be alone. 
there are definitely some like contrarians who are into Unlimited and there are people who are legitimate <laughs> fans of it because, you know, I, I feel like there's probably young kids who like were very young when this show came out, were too young for the previous show. And so like this would may, might have been their first exposure to Spider-Man, like in the same way that there are like Star Wars fans that are like die hard for the prequels because they were kids and that was sort of like their nostalgic thing. Like, hi. You know, right. It's like, I feel like there have to be people who are out there who really like it. It's just they probably aren't the most vocal ones. And there probably are a lot. I feel like if Marvel did a six issue limited series that was simply meant to be in that universe, I think people would buy it and read it. If nothing else, just for like the curiosity of it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think it would happen. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I can't use the, the, the Abrams family as an example of, you know, <laughs> they can do it. Anything can happen because that, you know, well, <laughs> that has its own trouble. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot uh, more to that, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But uh, I still think people would. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. I would read it. I would be totally down with that. Yeah. And people like a good, like, foregone conclusion. It, like, people want to see the, the story arc to this, like, resolved. Even if they don't care about the show, they just want to see that there is an ending out there, you know? Yeah. If you found a writer, if you just found the writer who was like, no, I actually really love that. Or better yet, somebody who maybe didn't love it the first time it happened or didn't watch it at all the first time it happened, who sort of discovered it outside the context who was like, mm-hmm. holy crap, like this this had something going for it and then sort of drew out what their six-issue conclusion would be. It's like that yeah. would be sort of the ideal circumstance for something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the show did eventually re-premiere over a year later in December 2000. <laughs> so it did. It was back in December, just, you know, uh, 12 months later, December. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they did, and they did re-air the first three episodes and then they continued on for like the remainder of the series to end it. The only reason I think that this happened is because the original, the Spider-Man movie that was coming out, that came out in 2002, originally for a while it was slated to come out in 2001. I think filming got pushed back a year and everything. But... At the end of 2000, they would have been assuming that there might be a Spider-Man movie coming out by next year. So they're like, why don't we broadcast Unlimited, the only Spider-Man show currently that like is out there that no one has seen all of, rebroadcast that to generate hype for the upcoming Spider-Man movie. Oh, yeah. That seems like the right thing to generate hype for that Spider-Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? If it's the only thing you got, working working with what you got, yeah. I guess. And it ended Just up not mattering anyway. Zeitgeist, I suppose. Ended up not mattering anyway because it still took like another year for the movie to actually come out. But yeah, you know, whatever, true, whatever. It got it got it it got the show to actually air. <laughs> oh man, uh, well, what that's a ride! Absolutely wild. And uh, sorry, everyone, it makes me love it even more. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was like I did all this because I did all this research before I had watched the actual first episode. Which is sort of interesting because then, you know, when I watched it, I was watching it going into it with this, like, knowledge of it. Sure. But, like, just doing the research of it, I was just sort of like, oh, shit, I think I am actually going to – I think I'm going to end up loving this. Because they really were putting so much thought into it. And and you really see 
why every decision was made, like why this show exists in the form that it does, it makes perfect sense. That's so rare to look at the production history of a weird TV show and have it like line up so completely. Like usually there's just like, yeah, that still seems weird. But like this one, it's sort of like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah. I get everything about it. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like it ended up with the best case scenario as far as the actual creators go, which is this show's going to happen whether we want it to or not. So if it's going to happen, you either end up with the people who are just there to crank it out or you end up with the people who are like, if this is going to happen anyway, let's at least make it good in the only ways that we can, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I commend them for being the latter and, and less of just sort of the machine creators about it. Yeah. Or at yes. least attempting to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So... Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to give a special thank you to our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole and Katie. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider-Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30, where if you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute, or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts, thank you. Thanks. Well, if you want to check it out, it is streaming on Disney Plus right now, and we are going to be talking about the first episode. Finally, like almost an hour into yeah! the podcast. <laughs> well, the nice, the nice, I think the benefit is that this these uh, first two episodes are very much two parts of the same sort of episode. True. Um, so we're only kind of getting like half a story in this first one. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely have a lot to dig into next week for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm, exactly. So this is Spider-Man Unlimited Season 1, the only season, <laughs> Episode 1, <laughs> entitled Worlds Apart, Part 1. The very long synopsis per IMDb is when Spider-Man spots his two main enemies, Venom and Carnage, hijacking on John Jameson's spaceship. I don't think you hijack on, but whatever. You definitely don't. <laughs> <laughs> spaceship. On a trip to the mysterious planet Counter-Earth, he fails to stop them, and the two symbiote villains go with Jameson to Counter-Earth, where the ship crashes and Jameson presumably dies. The public then blames... Yeah. The public then blames Spider-Man for Jameson's seeming death. Spider-Man fakes his own death and lies low for half a year until he gets a new nanotech costume from Reed Richards and gets another ride to Counter-Earth. That synopsis is uh, just Boggers. ever so slightly off in a few places. Uh-huh. Just just ever so slightly off. Uh-huh. Uh, I won't say why, but uh, the 
presumably dying the the faking death and the uh getting a new costume from <laughs> are the things i i will point to yeah. that that we will i will i will contend later <laughs> I, that, and i didn't i didn't even read that originally i just saw how long it was on imdb and i'm just like we're just gonna do it why not it's a weird show <laughs> have some weird synopses for it yeah Come on, give it to me imdb make them weirder yes. <laughs> make them wrong the better <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the original air date for this episode was October 2nd, 1999. It was written by Michael Reeves and Will Muno, who uh, I think both of them are, are like the story editors on the show. So, uh, written by both of them. Reeves has been in TV, like writing in TV since the 70s, and he has written on a lot of stuff, been a story editor on great stuff too. So, he's been a story editor on Batman the Animated Series and Gargoyles. Nice. And... Uh huh. He has been a writer on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, the '80s Incredible Hulk, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, the real Ghostbusters, that show Phantom 2040 that hey. we mentioned before. Yeah. He's also written in live action, including the 1990 The Flash series, which is a very good show for its time. Sliders, which is one of my favorite messy shows, and the '80s Twilight Zone and the Monsters Anthology series. Man, I mean, we've only gone through half of these, like half of this creative team's credits and it already sounds like they got the perfect people to do this show yeah a good combination of like superhero stuff and animation but also just like weird shit <laughs> right there's like some very specifically high concept stuff in there there's some stuff that's like very on the nose some stuff that's nowhere near but would prepare you i think to dive into this so mm-hmm. good yeah good, good list Definitely, definitely. Now, Muno has also been around since the 70s. These are like kind of TV veterans working on the show. Um, he was a producer slash story editor on Pride of the X-Men, which we have done an After Dark commentary on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I assume he would have been the story editor for the whole show if it went to series. Um, he's also worked in like a ton of like other roles, like in different roles across TV. So he's been a supervising director on The Real Ghostbusters and The Captain Planet show. Hey. Uh-huh. He was a producer on Gem and X-Men, the animated series a director on stargate infinity so Shocking. live action <laughs> yeah <laughs> yo god stargate, yeah, i didn't even no think way. about that whoa i didn't even think about that that's yeah that fits so well in this mm-hmm. fits less well a director on bob the builder okay <laughs> oh that actually explains a couple credits later that i didn't include um, oh really <laughs> yeah there are a couple voice actors that 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 voiced some stuff on bob the builder Oh, interesting, interesting. And he was a writer on Street Fighter, the animated series, and Spy Dogs, and a storyboard artist on a ton of shows, including RoboCop, the animated series. Spoiler alert, Street Fighter, the animated series, and RoboCop, the animated series are about to come up so many times. (laughs) Actually, RoboCop, the animated series, just assume, because I didn't write it down every time, just assume that anybody who voices... Anybody in Unlimited voices at least somebody in the animated series and frequently voices many characters in the animated series RoboCop. <laughs> is it well, is it this one or is it the Alpha Commando one? Because that Alpha oh, Commando one was out around it, the same okay, time. Okay, you're right. It's Alpha Commando. It's not yeah. the animated series. Good, the animated series was the 80s one. Alpha Commando was the one that came out in like 97. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, it's Alpha Commando. But the animated series Street Fighter, that still applies uh, to yeah. that. Lots of these folks were on both. Fascinating. What a weird, what a, what weird crossover. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. This episode was directed by Patrick Archibald. He has directed on the Invincible Iron Man and Doctor Strange animated movies. He's also directed on Hulk and the Agents of Smash, 
Transformers Rescue Bots, and has been a storyboard artist also on a ton of major shows, including X-Men the Animated Series, Gargoyles, the 90s Incredible Hulk, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, and lots more. Nice. Like I said, that sounds like the perfect group of folks to be working on this show. Yep. Uh, especially given the restrictions. I, I would rather have folks who have a lot of experience figuring out how to work inside of those restrictions than mm-hmm. than brand new folks. So Yeah, and it's a it's a good looking show too. Like the Oh my gosh. Yeah. If nothing else, it is a gorgeous show. I mean the animation yeah. isn't the frame rate isn't isn't especially high, but if you're yeah. going to if you're going to have to work with with uh, lower quality animation, at least the style of this show is, uh-huh. I think, stunning. I think so too. It's it's definitely like it is very of its time. Like it looks yes. like a lot of other shows that were happening at the time. But that was such a short period of time that shows looked like that. That like it doesn't bother me or anything. Like I kind of I, I kind of dig it because it does fit the tone of this show very well. And I think that it like really lends to the quality of like (laughs) the world (laughs) that they're trying to show you. I think it's one of the most comic book looking shows I've ever watched. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I love that about it. Yeah. So obviously this is the first episode of a new series. So every character is introduced. We're not going to go through every character. And in fact, uh, this show, I think if it follows the lead of these first two episodes is probably going to result in us talking about characters in the episode after they're introduced frequently. Sure. Because they don't introduce characters always at the beginning of an episode, um, which I'm I'm encouraged by. I'm actually excited by the fact that that is the case. So there will be characters, if you're watching along with us, that we don't mention right off the bat. Assume that we will get to them when they sort of hit their higher relevance within the series. <laughs> mm-hmm, definitely. So obviously we get a new Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Uh, this one is voiced by Reno Romano. He is the voice of Batman in the 2004 series, the Batman, which is really funny. Cause I can't imagine uh, two characters that you would need to voice so differently <laughs> in properties. So similar, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Cause I have to imagine he doesn't voice Bruce Wayne the same way he voices Peter Parker. But, well, it, but it does make sense if the Batman was meant to be like Batman, but he's younger, like right? Wasn't that, that's the whole like premise of the show? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's early career Batman, that's for sure. But yeah, uh, but he's still. I, I like, haven't watched enough of it to remember. <laughs> yeah, it's still. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I I did watch it, but I don't really remember a lot either. But yeah, it, it's definitely. It's got to be a different performance. Yeah, yeah. At least for when he is Batman, I would. I would hope. <laughs> <laughs> I <I'd laughs> hope so. <laughs> Sort of a Batman yeah. thing, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, he also voices Darth Ravon in uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, uh, the video game. I like Star Wars, but I have no idea if I'm saying Darth Ravon, Revon, Ravon, I don't know. Ravan correctly. I've never played that game, so I don't know. Uh, he's Eduardo in Extreme Ghostbusters. He's Randy Hernandez in Godzilla, the animated series. Did you ever watch that? Yes, it was very good, actually. Yeah, it's, I, I I thought it had come up, but I couldn't remember if it actually came up. I don't remember if it has or not. It is good. It's one of those yeah. things where it's sort of like it's actually kind of a bummer that it was a spinoff of the movie that everybody hated because, yep. like, the show itself, everything that wasn't good about that movie, like, they sh- shredded that and, yeah. like, made it better. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I definitely watched that show. I, I enjoyed it. I haven't watched it since, so I, I couldn't. I couldn't talk about what it does well or what it doesn't do well, but I, I, mm-hmm. I believe you for sure. Yeah. Because uh, I, I remember liking it a lot. 
And then uh, Romano also voices Spider-Man uh, mm-hmm. in the 2000 Spider-Man video game and its sequel, Spider-Man 2, Enter Electro, as well as in X-Men Mutant Academy 2, which is a one-on-one fighting game, and the X2 video game adaptation, or probably loose adaptation, uh, if Spider-Man's in it, <laughs> X2 Wolverine's Revenge alongside some familiar folks, such as Fred Tatashori. Uh, Mark Hamill and Jennifer Hale. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go out on a limb and put it on the record and say that he is my favorite Spider-Man voice. Wow. I I mean, I, I, I have no reason to contend that he's very good at it. He's less. And and it's, and it's more with like what voice has stuck with me for the longest. Sure. Cause you know, certainly when I was a kid watching the, like the nineties show, I heard Christopher Daniel Barnes. Mm Mm-hmm. But more from the video game, his his role in the video game than this show, because, you know, I wasn't into this show, but I did really love both of those games. And I still think they're like two of the best Spider-Man games ever in terms of like writing the characters. Sure. And he does a good performance in that. And just after that game, I've always like whenever I read the comics or anything, I read it in his voice. That's not to say that I that I think that maybe he has the best performance. Like I think like Josh Keaton has a better has probably the best performance sure. for Spider-Man in general. I think he's probably like the best in terms of like talent and everything. But Reno's voice is just the voice that I hear as Spider-Man all the time, no matter what I'm reading. Yeah. No, I think that makes perfect sense. I think I, I have to imagine people can relate to that in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. So we, unsurprisingly, based on the history of the show and the and the synopsis, we get Venom and Carnage in this series. They are voiced by Brian Drummond and Michael Donovan, respectively. Uh, Brian Drummond is a prominent voice actor in English anime dubs, especially he's Vegeta in Dragon Ball Z. He's Ryuk in Death Note and multiple main characters across a number of Mobile Suit Gundam series. Enough that I, I didn't want to list them. Uh, <laughs> and he's it's like four or five different Gundam series. Uh, and he's voiced major characters in a number of Transformers series, which I will uh, list <laughs> because uh, I think we cross over with that a little bit more. So Jetstorm in Beast Machines, Blur in Transformers Armada, Shock Blast in Transformers Energon, and Jetfire in Transformers Cybertron. He's also voiced Wolverine and Iron Man in a few properties each, but Ooh. none that we have ever talked about. Um, gotcha. They're sort of in different spheres. Uh, such as the Invincible Iron Man. I don't know if he's the one who does that, but it's sort of in that vein. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, And then Michael Donovan voiced the Eggplant Wizard in Captain N, the Game Master, which is that Nintendo cartoon. Yeah. Conan in Conan the Adventurer. Guile and Zangief in Street Fighter, the animated series. Ooh, interesting. Grey Hulk in the 90s animated Incredible Hulk series, and Fong in Reboot, as well as plenty others, of course. Hmm. Okay, okay. And then finally, for this episode, we also get John Jameson, uh, son of J. Jonah Jameson, voiced by John Payne, who voiced Escher in Street Fighter, the animated series, Dr. Watson in Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd Century, not the last time we'll mention Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd Century, (laughs) Uh, a few characters across many Gundam properties, and he provided additional voice talent on dozens of episodes of RoboCop Alpha Commando, Uh, which from here on out. You should assume, like I said, everybody uh, also has that same credit. <laughs> so, yeah. We gotta watch it. We gotta watch it. Yep, yep. We, I, it's without a doubt, we will uh, probably talk even more about RoboCop. Uh-huh. 
in so many different ways. <laughs> a movie which you still have not seen. <laughs> I still have not seen. <laughs> I will have watched every RoboCop series as a result of it coming up so much probably God. before the RoboCop movie. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the episode itself. Um, it opens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It opens up at the Solaris One launch site where Colonel John Jameson is making a public statement with J. Jonah Jameson and Peter Parker in the audience. And I'm just going to read his statement word for word because it is exposition for the whole show. Yep. Um, and it is good exposition. It's, it's, it's concise and it is very helpful. So uh, six months ago, through use of an advanced warp drive engine, the unmanned probe Alita projected itself to the far side of the sun. There... Alita discovered an exact duplicate of our world, the Counter-Earth. Then, as you know, Alita sent back this troubling final footage of its own demise. Due to Alita's destruction, many have questioned the wisdom of risking a manned mission to the Counter-Earth. But this act of aggression by the people of Counter-Earth demands investigation. So, Colonel John Jameson is going to the Counter-Earth as a result of what they are interpreting as an attack on Earth or Earth property by the counter Earth. <laughs> <sighs> yep. <laughs> I love this concept. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it, it only explains itself as much as it needs to by yeah. saying that counter Earth is on the far side of the sun. So theoretically, we would not have ever noticed it without explicitly attempting to find it. Yeah. That's yes. so absurd. That is so absurd. And I fucking love it. This whole opener, this one and the next one, both are really good about giving you just enough information, not over explaining anything Uh and giving you just enough so that there's like a little bit of leeway because like every concept in this show is something where if you like really start thinking about it, like you can probably poke a billion holes and it doesn't make sense, Mm -hmm. but it gives you like enough to be satisfied and be like, okay, I buy it. But like. Not so much that you're like, wait, but that contradicts that, and that doesn't make sense. Right. That. It's like, no, <laughs> hey, this is happening right now. Okay, move on. Let's do something else. Yeah. It's like, all right, okay, I'm on yeah. board. <laughs> I don't need it's my weird, sci-fi to be especially hard. Soft sci-fi is fine by me. You know, mm-hmm. there's another mm-hmm. Earth on the other side of the sun that I've never noticed because I don't stare at the sun all day. Great. <laughs> sure. And if like... I did, I would just see the sun. <laughs> like, yep, yep. Cool. <laughs> Right, accepted right. <laughs> right exactly exactly john jameson is like mad like people are like offended about the satellite getting blown up <laughs> yeah yeah people are pissed yeah so peter who is there uh taking photos with J. jonah jameson his spider sense activates and he's feeling like it's like going off like full blast so he suits up into his classic spider-man suit to investigate to which we get a little snippet of the 90s theme song. Yeah. You better believe I noticed that music. Cool little addition. They d- you don't hear the words radioactive spider blood at all, but it's a it's a fun little reference. Um, yeah. Almost kind of like a passing of the torch, like from like old Spider-Man to new Spider-Man in a way, I feel like. Right. Because, folks, things can just be references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. okay. <laughs> it doesn't, this doesn't make it evidence that it's a sequel to the 90s show or anything. <laughs> Oh, I, I like uh, his, not that we see it for very long, but like his classic Spider-Man suit in this, they give him his web wings, which is yeah. cool. And his eyes are yellow. Right. Because uh, this show cares about me and wants me to make as many amazing Spider-Man movie references as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so of course his eyes are yellow. 
yeah, yeah. It's neat. It's neat, and it works because it fits the color palette of, of yeah. the show too. It's a very yeah. like heavily saturated, dark, dark color scheme, color palette. It's really, really interesting. The yellow works. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's cool. But yeah, so he suits up in that suit we just described, <laughs> and he finds Venom and Carnage climbing on the side of the shuttle, intending to travel to Counter Earth. Yes, and then we get our opening credits. What do you think of the opening credits? I know you're an I intro guy. Love them. They're so good. So it doesn't really have much, if any, really. Uh, like just, they don't. They don't just like cut to clips. Mm-hmm. If there are any clips, they're like heavily edited enough that it doesn't matter. So everything is like comic panel form, and I love that they like recreate classic comic panels in the beginning, mm-hmm. just yeah. for, like a real quick exposition. And it's all done really, really artfully, and they do a nice job of like giving you glimpses of future characters without like feeling like it's spoiling anything. It's yeah. a great opening sequence. Really cool opening theme song that is pulled right out of 1999. But I love, love it. it. Yes, yes, opening I theme. Love, love it. The whole the whole score of this show, like kind of a, the electronica type of score that they're going for is really yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm into the vibe. Yeah, and it's really similar to the uh, 2000s game music too. It has oh, very similar okay. music. And even a couple of the sound effects in it, like the like when Venom changes into like slime form or whatever, there's kind of a <laughs> roar sound effect that's really similar to a sound effect that Venom has in that game too. So definitely mm. sharing a lot of uh, commonalities there. Nice. I love that. Yeah. So after we get our opening credits, the shuttle does launch with Venom and Carnage on board in the sense that they're attached to the outside of the shuttle. Uh, And Spider-Man manages to stick himself to the side of the shuttle by climbing up the tower and and just webbing onto it. I never quite know the right words to say, like, he attached his web to it. Like, like thwipping off is an easy way to say something you understand, like, inherently, Mm -hmm. if you watch Spider-Man. I never know what to how to describe he sticks web onto something flying away, but that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> that works. Uh, yeah. He does find the two symbiotes, and Carnage states that Spider-Man will not stop them from reaching Counter-Earth, and he mentions something called the Synoptic. Just, just mentions it, and I think Spider-Man's even like, what are you talking about? Uh, the two <laughs> yeah. of them then throw Spidey from the side of the shuttle and successfully break into the spacecraft. We get a little bit of cool stuff here. Uh, I think this is when we see them kind of go invisible or seep into the outer layer of the shuttle. Whatever it is they do, they they manage to cloak themselves from Spider-Man to gain an advantage. Yeah, yeah. He he references that they have like new powers and or at least they're like doing things that like they haven't done before. Yeah, he says they're able to morph in a way that they couldn't before. Yeah, yeah, they're almost like 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 T1000 kind of things where like mm-hmm. they're like they're just like liquid slime forms essentially and they're able yeah. to kind of use that against him, which is a a cool take. I like that they acknowledge it. I don't remember if that's really ever explained or not. I hope it is, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they are now in the spacecraft as Spidey is falling. So inside the shuttle, Venom and Carnage seemingly attack John Jameson while Spidey is falling back to Earth. Of course, the coincidence of these events causes Jonah, as usual, to blame Spider-Man. But the observers around him do as well. So everyone thinks that Spider-Man caused whatever went wrong with the shuttle. And by the way, he is using his webbing as a parachute. And I love when he does that. Yeah, me too. It's so nonsensical and I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Although real spiders do that. So I guess it's not nonsensical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they don't make a literal parachute. But... Right, right, right. <laughs> they do. I don't know how theirs work. I'm assuming they're just creating wind resistance for themselves. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, this is this is funny. This is I mean, it makes sense that the synopsis says that people presume 
John Jameson is dead. I don't know that in the universe that makes as much sense as they make it clear sort of from a meta perspective. We're clearly to understand that everybody believes that. Mm -hmm. We see that the shuttle still goes through the portal. We don't ever see Venom and Carnage actually make contact with John Jameson. We just get sort of like the horror movie, them crawling up behind him uh, and him sort of screaming. So I guess he's presumed dead, but uh, we just kind of see that little bit before things happen, which makes sense based on on what they do later. Right, right. Well, a week later. (laughs) Oh, you know what we didn't even mention, uh, because it happens a couple times, is they do a little bit of comic panel stuff on screen where they do captions. They do comic captions to say a week later or to give settings or to do time frames. Uh, stuff like that, which I think yeah. is cool. It's not overdone, uh, but I do think it's it's neat and it it fits really well into the already very comic-y aesthetic of the show. Yes, definitely. I dig it. I dig it. So a week later, things are not going well for Spider-Man. We like what? He, yeah, ooh, weird concept. Like at one point, he's uh, swinging through the street and he sees like people beating an effigy of him. Oh my gosh! I know. <laughs> rough. I did not expect that. Uh huh. <laughs> This show does a lot of things that I'm just not expecting. It's it's that's a lot definitely d- one of them. Yeah, it's it's got like a, a real darkness to it, a kind of like very like inherent like in its bones kind of like darkness, uh-huh. um, and a very like oh not not everything about humanity is very good kind of idea. So right. yeah, we see this. Uh, so the world is just kind of rallying against him. At one point, he like saves a cat from a tree like the most benign thing possible and he, when he tries to like put it on the ground a lady maces him in the face yeah no reason yeah just gonna mace spider-man rude uh-huh and jameson puts a 10 million dollar reward out for information about spider-man's identity 10 million 1999 dollars insane that's so much <laughs> Well, a fire breaks out in a city building. This is shortly after all this stuff happens. Uh, And Spider-Man saves a mother and child from plummeting to their death. So I guess the don't endanger children thing is like not as strict. It's literally, it's it's not even, it's not a child. It's like an infant that she's holding in her Uh arms. Uh (laughs) This is also, if this show had lived longer, this is probably a scene that would have been cut in some way, shape or form or edited around. Because uh, it's very scary. Uh, they're yeah. in a tall building and they're they're plummeting towards the ground. Yep. But Spider-Man does save them. Unfortunately, before he can leave the scene, the freaking firefighters attempt to restrain him by just blasting him with the fire hoses, which are powerful enough to be tearing up his suit. Mm. Which is a wild detail for them to include. Yeah. Because that's that's a really brutal thing to do to people. It's a thing that people do to torture people. So, yep. It's wild that that's that's what they're doing. Um, And one of the firefighters just straight up calls him a murderer while they are blasting his suit off of his body. Yep. Yep. Uh, It's rough. It's rough. Do you think this is like like uh, no, it's not. But my first thought was that it's like a almost like a commentary on like like nationalism and the way that it like makes people kind of go insane based Hmm. on the way based on how angry everyone was right from the get go about this like alternate earth that they know literally nothing about doing a thing that could have easily been misconstrued as an act of aggression. It wasn't necessarily an act of aggression, but like they got so mad about it. And then 
in in the events of like trying to like quote unquote investigate them, which the vigor and anger that it was said with sounded more like we're going to stage an attack against them or whatever. I don't know. Or yeah. like scouting your forces for, for the beginning of a war is what it sounded more like. Then when that failed, like Spider-Man is now their scapegoat, which is a thing that often happens whenever there's like a national tragedy. I feel like a lot of like kind of nationalism people will rally around or rally against a just like one target in favor of like defending their nation, you know? I think whether it was intended to be that or not, it is that. I think it it results in that being the case. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's not uncommon to hear discussions about what would happen to our planet if we did make contact with life outside of our planet, especially if it came to us first. Right. People frequently theorize or speculate that we would suddenly become a global culture mm-hmm. or or there would be some semblance of like a globalism more akin to nationalism as a result mm-hmm. of an invading presence, right? So yeah. I think, yeah, I think it has that. I think pr- part of that is just built into what first contact sci-fi is. Yeah. But I think the reaction to it in what we're seeing uh, as far as how they treat Spider-Man is the stuff that's a bit closer to home. Yeah, because it's just – it's that's the best explanation for why everybody seems to turn on a dime so hard at Spider-Man and just, like, be so, so angry and violent towards him. Like, it makes the most sense if you're thinking of it that way. And it's so funny that this was, like, you know, just a couple of years before 9-11. So mm-hmm. it's, like, it's uh, kind of – the parallels are kind of wild. Yeah. You know, and we don't get a lot of it, but considering like kind of the heavier themes that this show very quickly starts to dive into once Spidey gets to counter Earth, I feel like that there is something there. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's an incredible observation. I think it's that's really, really, really good. Cool. So before Spider-Man is able to leave this scene where he's being blasted by the hoses, because he he really he really isn't able to do anything <laughs> once they've got the hoses on him. Mm-hmm. Rubble from the burning building begins to fall from the building, and a bunch of it nearly falls on the firefighter who's calling him a murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, Spider-Man does manage to save him, but it appears to have been at the cost of his own life. People believe that the rubble has crushed Spider-Man. The firefighter himself even says that he believes that that's what happened. And and has this really sort of strange line, if only because it's in the show, not because it's a strange thing to say, but mm-hmm. says like, I'm willing to admit that I was probably a goner and that Spider-Man saved me, which I think illustrates even further how much everybody just effing hates Spider-Man's guts. Uh, yeah. That it's even hard for this guy to be like, yeah, you know what? I hate to admit it, but Spider-Man saved me. Like, okay, dude, like, <laughs> he, he just died. Yeah, like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's really weird. And one of the other reasons that they're assuming this is the case is because the firefighters did look for Spider-Man, and all they found was his mask. They don't find uh, anything else on scene, which actually should make them believe he's alive, but right. in the universe it's explained to be that they assume he's dead for that reason. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So we then get our first appearance of Mary Jane in this show because Peter shows back up at her or maybe their apartment. It's not really clear like what oh, the status. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. It's not clear what the status of their relationship is other than that Mary Jane knows he's Spider-Man and obviously they're like a couple. Yeah. But either way, yeah, she's, she's very uh, – it, they definitely play up the idea that 
she has been expecting the worst to happen for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Because doesn't she say, I thought it finally happened? Yeah, something like that, which is like, again, very dark, very Uh like heavy. They also do one of the uh, the comic panel captions that says like four hours later, right? Which is Buddy, one of the what things were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know she had to be worried about you, man. Yeah. I mean, I guess he was probably because he co- he has like a band aid and stuff on, so maybe yeah. he was getting like bandaged up or whatever somewhere. Yeah, um, makes sense. But yeah, it's uh, it's rough. And the next morning, you know, this was a pretty traumatic event. Peter is contemplating allowing the public to believe that Spider-Man is dead um, so he can just, like, live a normal life again. And Mary Jane kind of, like, supports this because she's like, yeah, "Yeah," because she's just like, yeah, there's a lot of heroes that are out there that don't put on a mask and, like, be a vigilante. Like, you can still do stuff as Peter Parker. He can be as important to the world as Spider-Man was. But, you know, you as Peter have to allow that. You have to be the one to make it true. You have to be the one to do something about it, which is such an interesting conversation and is a thing that I really feel like was probably present in like the original script or outline or whatever is when they thought the alternate Peter Parker was going to be part of this because that is such a good setup for who is Peter Parker. Okay, I'm going to meet the evil version of Peter Parker now (laughs) and deal with that. Like it's such a such a great like set off payoff thing. Um, But as it stands, it's more just like giving Peter the onus to like actually do something about this counter earth situation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I think we are, we're definitely made to believe that that is the choice that he is making and leaning on because the next time jump we get, and we, we don't get it yet, but just the next time jump we get is like six months later. So for all intents and purposes, like he did decide to stop being Spider-Man, which is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bold of the show to do. I know. Uh, right off know. the bat. <laughs> Especially because it's his choice, right? Like, he's he's making the choice. So the show literally starts with Spider-Man choosing to not be Spider-Man anymore. Yeah. All the time jumps in, in this opening two-parter is so is so wild. Like, the t- the amount of time yeah. that, it, that it spans is wild. Yeah, oh, yeah. It spans a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So the thing that really interrupts this line of thinking this sort of I can I can live a normal life and not be Spider-Man anymore is that there's a news report. I, I don't remember when this is. This might be like a week later or something. I'm not sure. Sees a news report that includes footage of a message from John Jameson that he somehow managed to send back to Earth. And in that message, he says, repeat, I'm on counter Earth. The situation is desperate. The creatures are. And I don't know if he gets cut off or if he just cuts himself off. But then says, I can't do it alone. If they're not stopped here, Earth may be next. Peter then decides that Peter Parker is going to be the one to help in this situation, not Spider-Man. So he doesn't necessarily go back to just like living a totally normal life. I don't know that he ever could, but he takes pretty seriously this idea that Peter Parker can be as important as Spider-Man is. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that necessarily pays off 100% based on what the show turns out to be. I don't know that it could have, but but I I still appreciate what they're trying to do. And I think you're right. Had they been allowed to do exactly what they wanted to do, this might have played out a little bit longer maybe or in a different way that would have – not been such a jarring difference between him deciding that Peter Parker is the one to then six months later when we see 
more Spider-Man. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I guess the, I, I guess as it stands, it ends up just being kind of like a, like it doesn't really play like this enough for it to work, but I guess you could argue that it's sort of like, okay, so this is Peter, like putting the old Spider-Man to bed. So then when we see him again, this is like the new Spider-Man with this very particular mission. It doesn't really pay off like the whole Peter Parker can help thing. Cause that's essentially paid off just in a six month time jump where you assume that he was doing a bunch of stuff in the meantime to get him in this position where he could hijack the spaceship but like right we don't really see it enough to be like a good payoff so yeah it's not a great payoff and and i guess the only thing that and this this isn't going to fully play out either so i don't know why i'm necessarily bringing it up but if you want to believe that he is trying to just be peter parker he does kind of create this new suit which we'll talk about in just a second with a very specific purpose in mind. True. So it's possible that he is just sort of creating a more utilitarian suit, which is what this is, a more utilitarian suit with very specific tools and powers attached to it in order to mm-hmm. accomplish something that he just literally couldn't do as Peter Parker. So True. I guess there's it's, that. Uh, still it a reach. Yeah, no, it's still a reach. It's still not 100%, and it still immediately undermines the moment that is Peter Parker deciding Peter Parker will help, not Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. At least I like that the conversation is brought up. Um, yeah. If it's a little weak that it doesn't pay off in anything. But, you know, it's, again, this show is dealing with really he- weirdly he- heavy stuff. So I still give it credit for bringing up that conversation in general, even if it doesn't get to deal with it. Right. If this were a comic book series or a TV show not aimed specifically at a kids or family slot, Mm. There would have been events that we saw between that decision and six months later that force him into feeling like Spider-Man is a necessity, but he's begrudging about it. That's what we would have seen, I think. I think so too. That which would have been really interesting, but you know, it doesn't. It wouldn't have fit this show, which has to get a lot done in this opener. Mm -hmm. Oh, real quick, we missed it, but there's one point when. on the uh, news broadcast, there's, when they're talking about Spider-Man dying, there's a real quick clip of Spider-Man fighting Doc Ock. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's super quick. It's just a nice <laughs> little like little reference. And Doc Ock's outfit is just like a green T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they're like if that is like just within like the restrictions that they were allowed. But I mean, green plus tentacles, like it's obvious. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> It's not worth calling out. Mm -hmm. We mentioned the six months later. That's the next time jump. So six months later, a second Solaris launch is preparing to send a rescue mission to counter Earth. We don't learn anything more about that other than that it is planned and that's what it's meant for. Uh, Peter Parker is seemingly working now at the site or the company or for the government or whomever it is preparing this launch. But other staff have no idea who he is or what he does there, which I think is a really cool detail. Mm-hmm. It's also a very cool shot. Yeah. We we see these two scientists who are entirely silhouetted. It's just silhouettes with, I think, glasses mm-hmm. uh, who are talking to one another, watching Peter Parker slink around the lab <laughs> and have a conversation about how they don't know who he is. And they, they kind of gossip about how he got a job there in the first place uh, through connections. And with, uh, with uh, Jameson. Yeah, yeah, with Jameson. And I, I think it's actually, it's a very cool thing that doesn't need to be there, but adds to the sort of overall environment of of what they're setting up which is mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. I mean he's he's still laying low as Peter Parker. He's not he's not being Peter Parker the genius 
publicly recognized scientist, you know? Yeah, which, yeah, which is very interesting. Right. Yeah. So he steps into a closet and we get our first glimpse of his new suit. So yes. turns on what he calls an anti-symbiote suit, which chooses nanotechnology and I quote, borrowed from the lab of Reed Richards. And I think that we are to understand based on the tone that he did not receive this from Reed. He's not borrowing it. He totally ganked this from Reed Richards. Yes. yes. No, actually, I think the exact quote is discreetly borrowed from the lab of Reed Richards. Okay. Yes. Keyword discreetly. (laughs) Yeah. Reed Richards has no idea he has this suit. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, come on, buddy. I feel like Reed would have helped you with your mission to counter Earth. Uh huh. <laughs> but uh huh. Whatever. Yeah. Peter's got a Peter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny too because Reed Richards, especially in 1999, pre the MCU, is like the ideal person to bring into this show or or reference in this way or have Peter work for after he gives up being Spider-Man. Like, mm-hmm. it's the perfect person. And, and instead, he just steals stuff from Reed Richards. <laughs> okay, Peter. Like, I'm curious what we missed in the six months where, like, he, he, where he tried to get it and Reed, like, why Reed would have told him no or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that's the bag man scene. You know, he just bag mans his way into the tower and steals some nanotech. so spider-man climbs the shuttle but he's confronted and this is strange uh confronted by nick fury i don't yeah it's a weird it's a weird thing thrown in for no real reason i can only assume knowing nothing about the rest of this show that nick fury is meant to either is or was meant to be an important character later because there are other things the show has done that are very obviously meant to make us think of something or or put something in the back of our minds for later. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to assume that Nick Fury either is or was meant to be a big part of this. I think he would fit the vibe of the show just fine. Yeah. Uh, so I can only assume that's it. In any case, Spider-Man insists to Nick Fury, who's trying to stop him from... Well, just stop him because Spider-Man's still kind of a... <laughs> You know, enemy number one and him popping yeah. up suddenly would not be great. Trying to stop him. And Spider-Man insists that he's the only one who can actually save John Jameson and that doing so is the only way he can prove that he wasn't at fault for the first shuttle's troubles anyway. Nick Fury allows this to work <laughs> uh, and allows Spider-Man to access the shuttle. I I really can't wait to find out either what Nick Fury is later or was meant to be, uh, given that he just lets Spider-Man pass. Because otherwise uh, it is pointless. <laughs> it is very pointless. Uh, and Spider-Man hops into the cockpit to launch the shuttle on his own, mm-hmm. which we know is possible because John Jameson did that. But it's kind of hilarious that Spider-Man's just like, I'm going to steal this shuttle two hours before you meant to fly it. Uh, right. Why couldn't you just stow away like with the crew that was going, and then you would have had backup? Like, I guess it's like a his like savior guilt yeah. complex. Where he well, didn't yeah, want he's to get also anybody else involved. Exactly. He's sparing at least well, well only one person. Yeah. Um, which I guess is fine, but yeah, he's he's sparing one person from being a part of it. Yeah. Uh, in favor of himself being exactly the the sort of sacrificial superhero or the savior. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, Peter. We, yeah, whatever. But this is weird. <laughs> uh, before he actually sets it off, he announces to the world what? that he's taking the shuttle uh-huh. to counter Earth. 
and then realizes in the moment, oh, wait, I can say that I'm taking Peter Parker with me, and that would that will make sure no one is worried about me while I'm gone. Oh, my God, dude. Oh my I God. think this is actually the only sort of, like, dumb Peter moment we get over the course of these two episodes, but it's, it's dumb. It's so silly. It's so silly. <laughs> it's very, will, very dumb. I will say, yeah, because it, well, it, it's extra funny because, I mean, I feel like we briefly mentioned this in the past where it's sort of like, I feel like the accepted explanation for spider-man is that like his mask makes him sound muffled even if we even if we as viewers don't hear him as muffled because that would just be annoying because they specifically when spider-man is making his cheesy as fuck announcement about like hey world i'm gonna go to counter earth like his mask is down and when he wants to speak as peter he lifts his mask up but like the way that we hear it it sounds no different except like reno just like pitches his voice up just slightly so it's really funny that it's like i'm spider-man and i'm going to save the day and I'm Peter, and I'm going with him. <laughs> it's funny. That's like the redeeming quality of this otherwise completely silly scene is the attention to detail on the yeah. mask. <laughs> and they, Peter does call it out that it's kind of dumb because even like he has this little joke. Um, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's just like, like if they can buy that, I've got some like Florida swamp land I can sell oh, them yeah. to. Uh-huh. So like. I feel like he recognizes this is dumb, but it's sort of like, whatever, what else have I got to lose at this point? You know, I guess at least he thought of Peter, but he also like the world thought Spider-Man was dead. Like, I, I don't know. Like there's a he lot of other ways. He didn't need to do the Peter thing. He could have told Mary Jane what he was doing. Right. And he could have quit his job at the Bugle. And that's pretty much covered his bases as far as we've seen, because we haven't seen any Aunt May. So right. he literally has only two connections in the world as we understand it so far. Right, right. So eh, it would have been it's fine. Silly. It's silly. <laughs> it's silly. It's one of those things where it's sort of like it's so hard. I feel like it's the same deal with like uh, when you have like like death of Superman type stuff or like Superman resurrection too. when it's like they always have to go through like absurd loops to figure out how to also explain Clark Kent returning and or like dying or whatever. So it's yeah. like it's just the the downside of the secret identity stuff. Like it's always silly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about the suit. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, because he's fully in it. Yeah. What do you think of the look and design of the suit? I like it. I think it could use mild editing for <laughs> 2020. But other than that, like, I, I actually really like it. I like some of the shapes that it utilizes. I like the triangle shape that it creates um, on the back and I think also on the front. I think kind of, yeah. I dig that. It is reminiscent of Miles or rather Miles is reminiscent of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is a shape that I really enjoy on Miles' suit. Mm-hmm. I, l- I I don't like the web shooters on his hands. I think. Oh, that- I love that. But I I well, like when you can see web shooters on 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 the well, hands. I like I like the spiders on the top of his wrist and hands. Mm-hmm. What I don't like about the web shooters isn't that you can see them, but that they appear to have like four cables that go mm-hmm. like around his hand. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I don't really like about them. Other than that, like, that's fine. It's just that weird detail about having, like, the little tubes that I don't like. <laughs> sure. But I do like, I love the spiders that he has on the the sort of tops of his forearms to his wrists. I yeah. think that's a very cool detail. Very cool detail. I used to hate the cape with a fiery passion because I was a dumb, stupid child. <laughs> I, I probably hated it, but I'm super pro cape now. I think so, the cape fucking rocks. I love yeah. that it's like a weird, like wispy web cape. That yeah. 
seems to serve no purpose that I can remember. And I don't remember it serving a purpose. It's just a little detail, but it seems like it's so light and like, like, like it's like tissue paper. So like, it doesn't like affect anything either. Like it's just a detail. That's one of the things that's so funny about them explicitly not doing a 2099 series is that Cape is straight up Miguel O'Hara's Cape. Like he has that same exact Cape in the original run. So it's so yeah. funny to me that they they kind of like do something that is so obviously attached to the specific hero they were trying not to use. Right. But I love it because I think mm-hmm. it, it looks dope. Yeah, it does look cool. It does look very cool. I dig it. I'm yeah, I've turned around so hard on capes in my adult life. Everything should have a cape. <laughs> not every not everything should have a cape. Uh, yeah, not should have a cape, but I'm very pro cape. I think it when Spider-Man has a cape, this is this is the only kind of cape that really makes sense outside yes. of bizarre circumstances where he is mashed up with Doctor Strange or when you have some sort of entity type Spider-Man that is very clearly outside now the realm of what a Spider-Man is, you know, because yeah. there are some there's like within the Spider-Verse expansion of things. There are some Spider-Men that are that I think have cape situations going on. But even still, very, very, very few Spider-Men have capes. And, and this is this is the only one most of the time that makes any sort of sense. Right. Right. I agree. And I love the shading that they do with him. Yes. With well, because of like the black uh, color. Yeah, that's so funny. That's so funny to me because, you know, the 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 Spider-Man 2099 suit was meant to be black and red, but the way that they shaded and colored that comic, everybody thought it was blue. So mm-hmm. then they just changed it to actually be blue. And mm-hmm. then now in Spider-Man Unlimited, you have a suit that is very obviously meant to be blue and red that they use so much heavy black shading on that you're kind of like, is this black or is this blue? <laughs> I always thought <laughs> it was supposed to thing. just be black, honestly. Like, cause the, there is, un- like, the Unlimited cause suit? Like, the, the unlimited suit, I feel like, because it's there's accents, there's like blue accents on it, but I feel like it is meant to be black with just some blue accents to it. I mean, it would make sense because of the same problem that 2099 had, which is how do you make a black suit that is also mm-hmm. showing shadows and shading? And I guess I can just as easily buy that this is a black suit in the way that the 2099 was supposed to be, because really what you see is mostly black right. and then blue sort of highlights, which is what they did with the 2099 suit. Because it's like the reverse situation that 2099 had where it's, I feel like, because it's 2099, it's like they had like more blue, essentially, so everyone thought it was blue. And Limited has more black on it. Well, okay, never mind. No, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's Unlimited hard is because like- everything else in the show is so starkly contrast shadowed mm-hmm. that it's hard to trust things that are just jet black. Yeah, because they can't make anything just jet black truly, because their their shadows are so obviously stark black shadows. It's the thing about this show that I like; it makes everything look chromed. Yeah, in a way. yeah. So then, how do you make a black suit look sort of chromed, and follow the same rule, the coloring rules that you're using for everything else? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I'll buy that it's black. I don't know the answer. Uh, I think it probably. I, I'd probably say 51% black uh, if I had to bet on it Yeah. Uh, now that you've Although, sort of presented it that way. But I don't actually know the answer. And I will say the, count, the counter to my, to my assertion that I think it is meant to be black is that in the 2000 game, they do have an unlockable unlimited suit. And that suit is 
blue and red and just and doesn't have it but it also doesn't have the cape but i think it's because of the graphics but i don't know though it's just so hard knowing now that they've basically turned the 2099 suit into a blue suit it's it's hard to say what they meant with this show yeah uh, because it could have been meant to be black and and just been interpreted as blue <laughs> yeah maybe i'm pretty hard on the line that it is black yeah i uh i'm i'm fine with that and also because it's as the anti-symbiote suit that's like a nice little bit of synergy to have like your red and black villain, you're wearing mm-hmm. your red and black suit. So yeah. I like that. They really need to learn how to, if it is black, they really need to learn how to do a black suit without using blue as the highlight, considering Spider-Man's colors are typically red and blue. I think mm-hmm. that's actually the problem. They just need to use white <laughs> yeah, or something else. But I, I get or the problem. It like, like I feel like doesn't Batman Beyond suit sometimes kind of like reflect in like red in certain shading or something i might be remembering that long, i don't know long. i don't know but i don't sure. know yeah that, that in the cartoon it's hard because it's such a flat show yeah i don't know if they do much uh in the way of of highlights especially since it's so dark but yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure i don't remember now but yeah i think it's a good looking suit i i'm fine with the mask masks that are solid color with shiny eyes tend to be lower on my list like the like scarlet spider and the iron spider suit masks uh, aren't some of my favorite but Mm -hmm. i it's because the rest of the suit is so ornate i get why they're doing it yeah i like the mask i like the mask reasonably i think yeah i think it's i like the suit i i agree with you that it is a little over designed but it's mostly on the legs i think they they could doesn't he have like weird stuff on his legs yeah just get rid of the just get rid of the shit on his legs and i think it's it's fine Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good weird suit. <laughs> yep. Yep, I'm into it. Yes. Yeah, love Spider-Man suits. I could stare at them all day, and sometimes I, I do. Oh, they're so... Yeah, me too. Yep, they are all beautiful in their own way. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> so, there is an episode going on. After, after, traveling, <laughs> after traveling through the portal, Spidey does make it to Counter-Earth, but the shuttle is immediately grabbed by some sort of tractor beam, he believes that the shuttle will be pulled to its demise. However, before it can crash onto the large counter-Earth city below, four robots approach the shuttle and actually assist it in still crash landing, but a nice, safe, quiet crash landing on the top of a building. Yes. Those four robots then attempt to apprehend Spider-Man uh, in the name of someone named Lord Tiger and something they're calling the High Evolutionary which mean nothing to us at this point. <laughs> but I like that this show is willing to do that. That's like the third or fourth thing they've said that we just don't understand. Yeah. Um, which I guess in a pilot makes sense. But Spider-Man quickly tosses two of those robots off the building and then escapes from the remaining two. But before he thwips away, he refers to himself as a friendly interplanetary Spider-Man, which <laughs> he doesn't realize means something to them because they sort of register it and say like, did he say Spider-Man? Uh-huh. That's strange. Spider-Man. Huh, why would why would he call himself a spider man? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh these people are four heavily armored folks. After they've arrived to the uh rooftop and are commenting on Spider-Man, man, spider, they pursue Spider-Man through the city before catching up to him. And we see why that they were so enamored by his uh wording of being Spider-Man because they remove their helmets and we see that they are all anthropomorphic animal people mm-hmm. so that's another thing i think people hated about the show at the time because they thought it was weird but now we're all just embracing furries so <laughs> it's fine why is this weird in thundercats isn't somebody explain that to me 
Well, because that's the whole world. <laughs> that is the whole world of Thundercats. In this case, it's like the plot of the show is Spider-Man goes to another planet. And instead of that planet having like aliens, the planet is like people and also anthropomorphic animals. Like I can I sort guess. of see why you're sort of put off by that, because if it was just aliens, typical, you know, like weird aliens, like that would be one thing. But the idea that it's all just like animal people, like I, I guess it is. It's a little bit like almost too normal and like too cartoony <laughs> in a way, you know? Not alien enough. Yeah, it's, like, not alien enough. Because that's the weird thing about Counter-Earth is that it's essentially, like, a parallel... It's literally a parallel Earth, but, like, instead of it being in a parallel universe, it's just, like, in a parallel orbit to our Earth, but somehow is still, like, creatures evolved in the same way, roughly. It's just, like, slightly different, so... Counter Earth in general is a weird concept, but you can't blame yeah. this show for that because it's right well, out of the comics. So, and they don't, yeah, they don't, um, they don't explain on purpose. They don't explain these anthropomorphic warrior, like animal warriors, until the second episode. Yeah. So if you only watch the first episode and you're just like, "What the fuck? Why are there a bunch of like animal people walking around?" <laughs> and you just quit there. Like, I, I get it, I guess, but it, it ends in a cliffhanger, so I don't know why you wouldn't just stick around. Right. Right. Yes, in these four warriors are the Knights of Wondergore. There is Lord Tiger, a tiger, Ursa, a bear, Lady Vermin. So, like, mm. basically the first counter-Earth version of a villain, even though they don't really call it out like that. Yeah. She is, like, a rat lady, even though she really looks nothing like a rat. But she does look, yeah. like, she does look like Vermin, the supervillain, who is based on a rat. So like, Do you think it's a coincidence, though? It could I be. I don't think it's a reference. I think but, it's I mean, an vermin oversight. E- vermin existed and she looks like vermin is the thing. So like I know. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't I don't get it why they would do that, but all right. I I'm I'm open to it. Yeah. Cuz yeah. I know who who voices her and I I could see her being a significant character based on what we see in the next episode. Right, right. So I'm open to it. Yeah. And the fourth is Sir Ram who, you guessed it, he is a ram. So they're like these like they are they're all very interesting because they're like distinct personalities, but they're still like all literally like knight like. Like they all kind of have like knightly speech for the most part. Mm-hmm. And like they're like medieval warriors and they're like they actually ride on like floating robot horse bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's yep. very it's very strange. But uh, they're cool. Huh? I actually really like them and they are all like Lord Tiger is like a like kind of the noble knight guy. Ursa is like a Russian, <laughs> like a Russian lady, but like still like like barbarian, like dwarf kind of archetype. And Lady Vermin is like very thirsty and horny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's the femme fatale of the group, you know? Yeah, she's the femme fatale of the group. That's right. And then Sir Ram <laughs> is just like, I guess supposed to be kind of the leader, but he's also like a scientist and a doctor, but he's also like pompous. He's the one I don't really understand. Yeah, well. spoiler alert for next week. I'm very disappointed in Sir Ram. I wanted to like Sir Ram, and, and after two episodes, I don't at all. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the one that doesn't really have a clear... Like, everybody's kind of an archetype, which I, I like, and they seem to play... Because, you know, it's and the archetypes weirdness. that fit their sort of anthropomorphic animal warrior... Yes. ...like, designs, and Sir Ram doesn't. Yeah. So I don't get him. I don't get him either. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but they're, they're cool. They're a cool concept um, yes. either way. I'm into it. Yeah. So Spider-Man quotes John Paul Jones, uh, who I had to look up, uh, was a revolutionary (laughs) naval commander, uh, American Revolution guy. Strange. Okay, Peter. (laughs) The reason I point it out um, specifically is because this show will go on to make a lot of references that 
that don't make sense in context. They only make sense together as like a, a grouping of references. Mm. So uh, it's, it's interesting. The show is sort of heady in a way that is easy to just ignore <laughs> if you feel like it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even, it's... I didn't even think about that. Like how the, the things that he calls out, cause he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. really make any pop culture references, but he makes no. He makes classic references, classical instead. and history and historical and like classical literature references. Yeah, that's fascinating. Very strange, but I, I'm 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 into it, and I hope it it carries through the whole season because I would appreciate that as just like a a unique element of this show. Right. Uh, so yeah, he he quotes John Paul Jones. The quote is dumb; doesn't even matter. Just about like not being <laughs> captured. The who he's quoting is more significant to me. Yeah. Um, and he continues to flee from the knights and quickly learns through his sort of swinging around that the city appears to be split into two discernible classes, which, by the way, is very reminiscent of Nueva York. <laughs> nope. Um, but what's what's unique about this version is that the seemingly wealthier and in power class are the animal-like folks and the seemingly impoverished underclass or disenfranchised class are the human-like folks. Peter needs to get with it, though, because I believe what he says is uh, animal people and normal people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess in this in this sense, he is punching up because they're like true, the ones true. in power. That's, actually, that's very true. <laughs> he is punching up. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it, it appears to be split along those lines. It will be affirmed later on that that is the case. Um, so he picks up on that very, very quickly. Um, While he's swinging around, he saves a human woman from some falling rubble. The show loves dangerous (laughs) rubble. Uh Um, And he ends up hiding from the knights inside a dilapidated apartment building, which is used to further illustrate the sort of class disparity. You see a bunch of um, sort of human-like folks uh, huddled together inside an apartment building as if they are squatting and not necessarily owning or renting that place. Well, he specifically uh, calls sort of... out that like they're living in o- overpopulated slums. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They do use the word just straight up slums. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, very clear what environment is sort of the lower, literally physically lower um, portion of the city. If right. you've seen um, the Nolan trilogy, Gotham is split up that way too. The, mm-hmm. the higher you get up, literally in stories, uh, the wealthier things get. So uh, this, yeah. this has that going for it, too. Um, and then we see something that his suit can do that I like only because he, he specifically talks about it. Um, he has a stealth mode, but he says that he can't use it very long because it depletes his suit quickly. I, think I, don't... I thought he said it heats it up. It oh, heats it heats up. It? Oh, I didn't realize that's what he said. Okay. Either way, I like that there's a consequence to it because it means that he can't just always use it constantly, which Uh is the problem with those types of powers. So I like that there's a downside to it. That's the thing that always bugs me about Batman Beyond. It's that they, I don't yeah. think they ever had that explanation. So it's just like, why aren't you just always invisible then? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They they fixed that with Miles pretty quickly too to make it so that like using his extra Spidey powers um, makes him tired or makes mm-hmm. it harder for him to fight. So uh, yeah, I like that in this series they they do cover that in a way that Batman Beyond does not. <laughs> yeah, and I like I like the effect of his self like his stealth suit where it's just sort of like it's transparent except for these cool little like spirals and you just yeah. see like, his eye in the spider pattern. Like it's, it's a very, very different way to do it it's a very different way to do it yeah but it still like evokes the same effect for some reason like it still feels like a stealth mode it's very uh-huh. cool yeah yeah well and i i it, it fits within the environment that they've created because it's already a pretty comic-y yeah. uh, sort of wild spectacular in in, a, in that it is a spectacle type of environment 
Yeah. Real quick, just a couple of things. When he's swinging through the city at one point, when he's like seeing all the people, like human people for the first time, you can hear like a sound bite where there's a guy going, oh, watch where you're going there. <laughs> and then they replay it again when he goes into this, the overpopulated Oh, building. that's so funny. <laughs> and, and the carton of milk or whatever that the lady drops, it says Mooj on it. M-O-O-J. Mooj? <laughs> Mooj. Ew. <laughs> which there's a lot I of hate that uh-huh well, i mean you know i guess it's probably a knockoff of milk because i imagine that like eating meat is probably like banned on this world or something because of the animal i people. hope so so <laughs> i really yeah. hope so <laughs> yeah yeah so like that's probably like Mooch. fake milk and they call it a gross name for the gross humans <laughs> honey can you run to the store and get some mooge <laughs> no i cannot i absolutely cannot <laughs> Oh boy! Oh, that's funny. I didn't even think about that, uh, and I should have because I'm I'm currently reading B stars, uh, so I'm primed to yep. ask all of these questions. Yep. I just uh, watched. I just finished watching it on Netflix, and it's oh, nice. Uh, nice. It's cool that it yeah that it sort of addresses that in unique ways. Bojack uh-huh. Horseman also addressed that, and it's all very fucked up <laughs> in that show. So like, <laughs> there's it, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do with it, and I, I I'm, oh, I'll sure. be curious if this show ever addresses it. I'm going to put my money on no, but uh, I'll be impressed if they do. Yeah. (laughs) So Spidey does deactivate his stealth mode and he leaves the building. Uh, He's pretty much immediately found uh, and apprehended by the Knights of Wondegore. (laughs) He really should have hung out in that building for a couple hours, I would say. I don't think they were going in the building anytime soon, but I suppose suppose it's not unfair for him to assume that if he stuck around, he would be putting them in danger. So... It's fine. But yeah, he's he's apprehended by the Knights of Wondegore. I think there's like a mild brief clash before they actually capture him. But they pretty much just like, I don't know, they just, they, uh, they're flying, so they're not really dragging him. But they just sort of like, <laughs> two of them each grab an arm and they just like fly off with him hanging between their two robot horse jet <laughs> flying things. It's very weird. <laughs> it's a weird show. <laughs> yeah, it is a weird There's show. No but surprisingly less I I honestly think and this again, it's the pilot, so I'm sure it that, that has to be taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. But I think these two episodes are less silly than most of the things we've talked about. I think so too. No, but because it plays all of this stuff very straight yeah. and it's still playing on really common archetypes like we'll see even more like kind of almost homages to like sci-fi movies in the next one but like in this one you know like the the whole world of counter earth is like it's very blade runner it's very like you can even get shades a little bit of like of like future war terminator a little bit kind of thing where just the idea any kind of idea of like a strict class structure in a world with like heavy futuristic stuff that's not being given to like the lower class like that's such a common like sci-fi world and even even like mm-hmm. the visuals of it are, are are really similar to that too. So it's like it doesn't feel like it's weird that I, I guess to see a Spider-Man show doing that, but the entire world itself isn't really all that weird. Right, right. It, it never in, it never tries to be silly or absurd. It takes itself very seriously, but not too seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like at least Good. Spider-Man cracks jokes about how weird it is to be in a world with all animal people. Like yeah. like it's it's self-aware in the places that it needs to be, but it does not overdo it at all. Like mm-hmm. you still get how dire all this is. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Well, this episode uh, is is almost over at this point. We said it ends in a, a cliffhanger, or at least in a to be continued. So 
Uh, even though we're directly in the middle of him being captured, there's not really a resolution yet. So he wakes up restrained and inside somewhere with all four of those knights present. Um, and the episode itself ends with the knights receiving a hologram message inquiring as to why Spider-Man's mask has not yet been removed. Uh, Sir Ram, who is also apparently a doctor, but kind of sure. plays like a mad scientist, sure. uh, replies, yeah, I don't I don't understand. I, don't I, I could think it. of a dozen other animals that would have made more sense than a ram. Maybe that was meant to be subversive. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Sir Ram replies that the suit is made of a technology that he doesn't really understand, so he can't just take it off. And so he starts up a very science fiction-y handheld saw uh, <laughs> and assures the man in the message that he will find a way to remove it and retrieve a DNA sample from the Spider-Man. And that's yep. when we get our sort of horror sci-fi to be continued, what's going to happen next moment. Yep, yep, yep. I don't really like the cliffhanger all that much, but... It's I, not great. I, yeah, it's could have done better. <laughs> there's plenty of other big dramatic things that have happened that you could have left it on, but I feel like they literally just wrote a one-hour script and just split it in half, which, you know, yeah, whatever. And I think there's probably some part of them that thought like, well, this is the sort of like uh, moment in a Bond movie where like the laser starts firing at his crotch and you're like, what's going to happen? Is he going to get cut in half or not? Yeah, I guess. I guess. Uh, there's no it's stakes just like, though because of what the show is. So. Right. And there's plenty of other other moments in, in this and the next episode where there could have, there were, there were more stakes. So like yeah. maybe shifted a little bit, not to go back somewhere else, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. The, the only time that Peter makes a pop culture reference is, is here when he like mentions like Tony, Tony the Tiger, or like Lord Tiger, like, oh, being, yeah. Like, they're great. Which it's a funny joke, but it's weird to me that like uh, Ursa like laughs at it and like is just like, oh, that's a great, that's a great jape or whatever. And it's like, why would you get that reference? Did you I was going to say, the they tiger? seem to get the reference. <laughs> You're right. They shouldn't <laughs> get any of his pop culture references. That would be even funnier. Like, yeah. he could make the joke, and if none of them got them, then it would have been maybe almost funny <laughs> the, the only thing that i could guess is that like that was kind of the joke that like she is clearly kind of the dumber one of the group because she's sort of that barbarian kind of archetype oh, yeah, and so maybe she was, was just it. laughing at the fact that it was something that sounded like the cadence of a joke and it was just like ah, yeah. good one All right. <laughs> okay okay <laughs> sure open to it <laughs> i guess so as far I, as i'll go yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, whatever. It's it's fine. <laughs> I like the I like the Knights of Wondergore. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I uh, I like seventy five percent of the Knights of Wondergore. I like the idea of them, and I like three of them. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. We have one face of the episode this time. So the the point when Peter spots the woman and her baby in the burning building. It's meant to be that he kind of like looks to the left and right, I guess, to see if anyone's around before he runs off and suits up as Spider Man. But, like, for a second, when he's looking behind him, it just looks like he's rolling his eyes at her. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, gosh, come on. <laughs> do I really do I really have to save a lady and her baby from a burning building now? Ugh, Ugh. these people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good grab, though, because it's a really good look at this particular character model. Uh, which is. is obviously very different than than the the, the 90s show. or, or like, This is technically a 90s show, too. But you all know what I mean. Yeah, uh, very well, different it's, model. It's different than pretty much every Spider-Man. I mean, everyone that we've seen, and I feel like a lot of the ones that we see come after this too. It's really, it's well, it's, you know, you could put a pair of glasses on him and make his hair 
red, and he would literally just be Miguel O'Hara. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would, the the character model would fit just fine. <laughs> I mean, maybe take his like skin a shade darker, just ever so slightly. <laughs> it's so funny that they were just like, no, we didn't do a spider. We didn't. We decided not to do a Spider-Man 2099 show, and then they basically did a Spider-Man 2099 uh-huh. show. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to be too Batman Beyond, and we don't want to do two 2099 type stuff and then they do both (laughs) right right we don't want to be batman beyond so we'll make our spider-man in a black and red suit that can go invisible (laughs) with very sharp features uh (laughs) yeah yep yep but no it's a it's a good good uh actually that that's a if if this were a better known show this would be a decent meme format so i like it it would be (laughs) <laughs> it would be look out for our batman beyond after dark commentary on our patreon coming out soon by the way <laughs> oh speaking of <laughs> if you're looking for more uh stuff from us as we mentioned earlier in the episode to some delightful retro music we have a patreon and you can check it out at patreon.com slash walloping web snappers uh, if you are interested in the content outside of the main feed, that's where you would find it. You can access the vast majority of it for just a dollar, and we think it is quite worth it. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, uh, feel free to check that out. If you would like more from us individually, Derek, where can people find you and the stuff that you are working on? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale, and you can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at battered divisive media from a positive lens. What about you, Doug? You can find me also on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. Uh, and you can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road. It's a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just sort of as we feel like it, whatever we're kind of... Uh, vibing with in the moment so uh check us out there if you would like more content from just the podcast in general and you would like to find us on social media you can do that on twitter instagram and facebook under the handle at walloping web pod uh you can also email us at walloping web snappers podcast at gmail.com send us send us your uh, uh counter earth persona one might say Ooh. fursona <laughs> Uh, we would love to see it. So uh, send us stuff there. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It is very helpful in that it helps other folks find the things that we are doing. If you like it, someone else will enjoy it as well. And next week, get all of our thoughts on this whole pilot as Spidey's mission to counter Earth continues to get even hairier in Worlds Apart Part 2. See you then. Bye. I hate the title of these episodes because one of my, if not my least favorite season of Survivor is called Survivor Worlds Apart. Uh, And every time we say the title, I think of it and it makes me angry. (laughs) Ah.